Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. It is hashtag SGN. The number is 855 number 4 G A R T E N. Sports Garden. That's us. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. Guys, we have a big show to do today. We normally run through all of the football games, all of the NFL games, with the concentration on the NFL. Maybe we touch on a little college football. Well, all of a sudden, hockey is back. So we have a couple of bye weeks in the NFL. We're going to sort of pass on college football after a big college football week. We'll pass a little bit on college football, maybe touch on it if we can. But we are going to get into a little bit of NHL talk. As you know, the last two years, there's nobody hotter in the world than I am with the NHL. We've given you the Stanley Cup winner each of the last two years in the preseason. So look, I'm not uh, saying three times a charm, but we've done it twice now, and I have given that to you. So we'll get into some of that today for sure. I absolutely want to start with the NFL. The NFL is king. It drives everything. I get it. So let's get into the NFL first, and at the end of the show, we will get into a little hockey talk. Let's start off. We're going to London once again, and this time... Ah, not so entertaining, right? I mean, yo, look, the Dolphins and the Jaguars are not exactly the premier matchups. This one was a three and a half point spread to the Dolphins. Now, the Jaguars are only getting three. It seems like a little bit of Jaguar love there. And, you know, look, the distraction hopefully are over. The question about the Dolphins quarterback remains. Tua was playing. He suited up this week, earlier in the week. He practiced. Does it mean he's getting the start over Jacoby Brissett? We don't know, right? I mean, that's what we're looking at. Miami, it's their defense that's a problem. I have sat here and congratulated Brian Flores on making a culture that was defensive-minded, making a culture that was tough and strong, and this was the Miami culture. This was what he was coming in to do. Look, Miami's now allowing 35 points per game over the losing streak that they've had. They look terrible. Um, The Miami Dolphins, they've been outscored by 76 points this year, which is the most in the NFL by more than two touchdowns. They're getting destroyed. So Miami joins the Jacksonville Jaguars, who also allow 30-plus points per game. The Jaguars have the worst turnover differential in the league. Uh, The Jaguars, the second team in NFL history to lose 20 straight games. I mean, this is what we're looking at here. Um, You look at the Jaguars, and it's all pretty much at the top. You can find good things with Trevor Lawrence. I think he's growing. I think he looks better week in and week out. I think LaVishka Chenault. I expected big things in. Looks better as the year has gone on. James Robinson clearly looks better as the year has gone on. But at the top, even their defense has shown glimpses of looking better as the year has gone on. But at the top, the distraction is still Urban Meyer. Before the year began, I told you I would like Jacksonville. I liked what they were going to do. I just think that Urban Meyer was going to hold them back. I think he's, he's not the man for the job. I don't think he's a good guy. And I think that the players feed off of that. You could kind of convince an 18 or a 19-year-old. It doesn't matter if you're a jerk or not, but you can't convince grown men, and that's what he's dealing with now. Just this week, he comes out and he says, you know, he wants to run the ball for 250 yards a game and pass the ball for 250 yards a game. What is he talking about? How insane were you? Uh, What is wrong with you? If the Jaguars finished uh, running at 250 yards a game, that would be the greatest rushing season in the history of the NFL. Uh, What are we talking about? No team in NFL history has even averaged 225 yards. This guy is a moron, okay? He's a complete moron. Where 
these guys are starting to buy into it. You know, there's no Rutgers on the schedule here, Urban. So this is kind of a game where you look at and you say, you know, you got two bad defenses. Which defense do you kind of step up? I think Miami's does, but with the quarterback situation, it's kind of tough. Especially, I think Lawrence is going to have a good game. I've been saying that he's going to have a good year. I think he's going to have a good game. He's one of those guys that I'm going to continue to back because I see the talent. I just absolutely see the talent, and I can't get away from the talent. All right, let's talk about Cowboys, Patriots. This one is going to be a late game on Sunday, but I, I kind of wanted to tie in here because we are talking about you know the rookie quarterback, and the rookie quarterback in this case is Mac Jones. And what is Mac Jones right now is kind of the question. Also, what is Dak Prescott? Look, the Cowboys opened up as a four and a half point favorite. It's up to five in some spots. You look at the over-under and you're going, all right, look, we know that Dak Prescott is fantastic. We understand that. But Dallas has now rushed for more than 200 yards in each of the last two weeks. They are running the ball effectively. Now, again, we want this. We want this in the NFL. You want to run the ball. I scream it all the time. Offensive line, defensive line, run the ball, win the middle. I'm, I'm old school like that. But I also understand who you have in Dak Prescott, right? I mean, who you have in Dak Prescott, he's got to start throwing the ball a little bit more. CeeDee Lamb looks like he's a ghost out there. You're going to get into a position where you want a balance, okay? Maybe not 250 and 250 urban, but you want some sort of balance. And the Cowboys, while they're winning, while they're covering, by the way, uh, you know, there's going to be some games where you're going to start to go, okay, we, we have to go pass happy here. And Dak Prescott really hasn't done that this year. The Pats, by the way, they're running fifth in the NFL in scoring defense. So this is going to be a little bit of a challenge. I see everybody loading up on the Cowboys. The Cowboys are the public team. It's going to be Cowboy, Cowboy, Cowboy money coming in. I think the Patriots can hang with them here. I think Bill Belichick still has some tricks up his sleeve when you're really sitting back and talking about it. Let's go backwards and talk about another quarterback. Since we talked about New England, let's go to Tom Brady because they're playing on Thursday against the Eagles and they're a, a chalk of about a touchdown, well, seven and a half or so. Tom Brady had a cut on his hand earlier in the week, and, and then it was hurting. And, and look, Brady's going to play, and he's going to be fine. I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about are the Buccaneers are missing seven key players. They're missing all four defensive backs at a time. You could even miss, be missing a nickel back. Uh, Levante David in the middle. He's a guy that is banged up. They are hurt all over this defense. Now, you could talk to me about Brady's finger and his hand and everything else. This is also a team that you go, okay, lives and dies by Tom Brady. I get that, but the defense has to step up and they have to do something here to kind of step up. The Eagles, they're not a good offense, but I see things growing. Devontae Smith looks better and better every week. His target share, his air yards, he looks better and better every week. Jalen Rager is a guy that you look at over there. Q is looking pretty decent. Zach Ertz is going to be back there. So they don't have necessarily, quote-unquote, a running game, but Miles Sanders gets the ball out of the backfield. So can Gainwell. Their offense isn't good, and it's not scary, but it has enough weapons where you go, I think they could take advantage of the Bucs. So it all goes kind of back to Brady and his finger. He's going up against the Eagles, who rank third in the league in pass defense. So they're going to have to do what they did last week. And last week they came into that game and everyone said, you're going to have to run the ball. You're going to have to run the ball. That's the weakness. Brady said, no, I won't. He just threw it all all day long. I wonder if that's kind of the same situation here. We did watch Brady lose a midweek game uh, last year. So maybe this is one of those situations where, you know, they, they lose focus. Brady's finger's an issue. The defense is a problem. I just don't think so. I think that this, you have to take the Buccaneers or nothing here. I'm still believing that Tom Brady wants the MVP. 
I think, highlight games like this. Primetime games where he has all the attention focused on him. Brady steps up. He always elevates his game. And I'm just not betting him against Brady in this spot. Again, I don't think I'm lining up and knocking people over to go take the Bucks because I still think that Philly can be dangerous, but I'm certainly not taking Philly. Let's talk about the team that Brady did lose to. Remember the fourth down, third down confusion by Tom Brady, and it became a meme, and it was a laughing stock and everything else? Well, that was against the Chicago Bears. This is in Chicago, and the Packers are coming in as a four-and-a-half-point favorite, which is an interesting line because we're Aaron Rodgers. Everybody loves him now, right? And I made it a point to say last week, who has this team beaten? Oh, they beat up a bad Pittsburgh team that had nobody. They beat up a San Francisco team that had less than half of a team. They beat up a, a Lions team, which they actually struggled with beating. And now they went out and beat a Cincinnati team who was also banged up Joe Mixon and, and problems. The Packers really haven't shown me who they are. They're giving four and a half points on the road in a rivalry game in Chicago with the Bears playing well. This game's for first place. Now the Packers are going to be without Jair Alexander. That would mean something if the Bears could get it downfield. Allen Robinson, I keep talking about, uh, you know, guys being on milk cartons. I keep saying Chase Young should be on a milk carton. What about Allen Robinson? Allen Robinson's done nothing, and I, I get it. Justin Fields can't get him the ball, but Justin Fields has to start looking his way. I mean, Daryl Mooney looks good, but Jair Alexander being out of this, you got to go to Allen Robinson. You got to go early. You got to go often. Aaron Rodgers, we can't move away from how good he is against the Bears, no matter what you want to say. Aaron Rodgers is 21-5 and five against the Bears. 21 and 5, and he's won four straight. Okay. The the Chicago Bears have a very designed plan. We just talked about their design plan, right? Well, uh, what I think works in the NFL still run the ball and play good defense. Well, the Bears do that. Okay. The Bears now have four straight games where they have more rushing yards than passing yards. That is not exactly a recipe for success, but it seems to be working for the Bears, right? You, you look at this, you want to start airing it out. They're going to have to open up the offense in some cases. Look, the Bears defensively, I have no worry about. The Bears lead the league in sacks. It's Mack and it's Hicks and it's Roquan Smith and they're coming from the corners. The Bears mm. defensively mm. have always been mm. a dominating team that needs to get some kind of offense. I like the fact that the Bears offensive line looked better this week. And Olin Krutz pointed out over on Twitter and he said, look, you know, everyone's talking about Williams and how good of a game Williams had. It was the blocking up front that really did it. And it really was. The blocking up front was fantastic. The Bears have a top 10 statistical defense and you could even argue top five in most cases. But here's the thing. So do the Packers. But what do we make of the Packers? With no Jair Alexander, with no Smith, they can't get a pass rush, but they are you know, in this top 10 statistically. This is where schedules matter, guys. You look at the Chicago Bears and you go, all right, they've played some decent competition. Um, they've squeaked out some wins, but they haven't played great competition. But the Packers have played nobody. Like I said, a, a shell of themselves Pittsburgh Steelers, an entirely beat up San Francisco team, the last place Detroit Lions would probably be the number one overall pick in the draft. And last week they barely beat Cincinnati when they were missing their number one running back. This is not exactly a world beater. In any other case, if I were, were a betting guy, oh, by the way, we all are, right? In any other case, if I was a betting man that had to make a bet on this game, and I don't, and uh, neither should you, I would be all over the Bears. Home dog, plus four and a half. Give me Chicago. Give me them at home. This looks good. Getting points. Good defense. Running. I, I like it all. But Aaron Rodgers' success against uh, the, the Chicago Bears just cannot be understated, especially recent success. We're not going back. 21-5 and five is impressive throughout his career, but we don't have to go back decades. Look, he's won four straight. He's won four straight in the series. 
Let's talk about the Chiefs against Washington. Money is pouring in on the Chiefs, pouring in on the Chiefs, pouring in on the Chiefs. The line opened up at six and a half. It's up to seven. I've seen seven and a half in some spots. This will probably be an eight by game time. And look, this is a matter of the Chiefs are back under 500 for the second time in three weeks. They can't lose two in a row with Patrick Mahomes, right? I mean, that's the question. They can't lose two in a row with Mahomes. There's just no way. My question kind of is why not, right? Eventually, you kind of revert back to the mean. And reverting back to the mean is this. Patrick Mahomes had 19 possible interceptions last year and 19 dropped interceptions last year. That that really could have gone the other way. Now, you're not going to catch all of them, but the statistical numbers are about 60% of those are you know being caught. Patrick Mahomes, I'm not saying he was lucky, but Patrick Mahomes was going to revert back a little bit. But so was the Kansas City team that constantly had to come back. Remember the playoff run? Constantly had to come back. Constantly have to come back. Constantly have to come back. Well, Casey's been down three times by double digits at the half this year. Three times at the half, they've been down double digits. It's just a lot mentally and physically to come back from double digits in an NFL game, and they've done it over and over. But it's really about this defense here, okay? And the defense for Kansas City is terrible. Daniel Sorensen might be the best defensive player they have, and that's saying something. They are missing some key guys to get to the quarterback. I get it. But this defense is not bad. It is terrible. It is ranked dead last in a league with the Jacksonville Jaguars, okay? It's ranked dead last in a lot of categories, and you have the Jaguars. But here's the thing. Washington is not very good. They've allowed 20-plus points in four straight games. Washington has allowed 35 points per game and has just two turnovers over the last three weeks. This is a terrible defense, too. I've mentioned Chase Young on this show, and I've ripped him apart because where is Chase Young? But this is an overall team schematic. The Washington Redskins or the Washington football team has been terrible. Patrick Mahomes is going to put up 30-plus points here. Patrick Mahomes might put up 40-plus points. But it wouldn't shock me to see Washington sort of keeping pace. The over-under opened up at 54.5. It's up to 55.5. I don't think you could set it high enough. If you put this at 60, people are taking the over. I don't know who's possibly taking the under. The one thing, watch the weather. Sometimes on the East Coast, you know, you get a little wet. But that's that's what we're looking at here, guys. This is going to be an old-fashioned shootout. I think Kansas City wins, but we also know Kansas City has only covered five times since last October. Five times in a year. And Kansas City is just not the same team. It's hard to climb to the mountaintop three times in a row. Let's talk Raiders and Broncos Good rivalry game here between the Raiders and the Broncos. And and you look at this battle, and that's what I'm calling it. And it's a weird battle because both of these teams two weeks ago are going, this is our year to take down the Chiefs. And the Chiefs have not done anything. Now all of a sudden it's the Chargers. But the Raiders and Broncos two weeks ago were feeling great about themselves. Now they both lost. The Broncos going, hey, were we a product of our schedule? The short answer, yes, you are. And you're talking about the Raiders now minus uh, or plus three. It's a field goal game. Nobody understands what's going on. Look, I think you have to talk about the distraction of Gruden here, right? I mean, the Raiders can have one of two situations. They might band together. They may band together here and say, okay, we're all one. We're all good. You know, it's us against everyone. Maybe they do. But this could also be a very torn locker room with people that did like Gruden. And how can you like that guy? He's a racist, misogynist, and everything else. This could be a torn locker room. I think it's a tough situation to go near. The Broncos are banged up themselves. Melvin Gordon's banged up. Cortland Sutton had a huge game. He's still limping around. We don't know about Teddy Bridgewater. Was he as good as he looked the first three weeks? No. Was he as bad as he looked the last two weeks? Not really, right? The Raiders swept the season series last year, so the Raiders have had success in these spots. 
The Raiders are, though, they are averaging only 11 points per game over the last two games. Guys, what has happened to Darren Waller? Hey, Raider fans, where's Darren Waller? This guy, he was supposed to take the crown of Travis Kelsey as the best tight end in the business, right? I mean, that's what he was going to do. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, huh? This is a tough game. Another divisional matchup that's a tough game. Texans, Colts, this line is steadily risen. The Colts were eight and a half point favorites and they were nine and a half point favorites. Now it's 10 and we got into that double digit area. Look, the Colts look good on Monday night. Make no mistake. Carson Wentz looked as good as he did during his quasi MVP run. That's, that's how good he looked. And Jonathan Taylor is the beast that we thought he was. And this defense with Leonard, they are very good, but they did crumble. They did lose a heartbreaker. They did are on a short week, and it is a divisional matchup. If you take the names off the front of the jerseys and you only sit back and you tell me those things, you get a divisional rivalry game getting double digits off of a short week where the division rival that that's favored just had their hearts broken on national TV. I mean, it's tough. And look, the Colts are double-digit favorites at home, um, which is... Okay, we get it. You have to set this number. But Houston's been playing well. The Texans are 0-5. They they might not win. They might go 0-17 this year, okay? They may not win a game. But they're over 500 against the spread. And that's what we care about. Here's the problem with taking the Texans. All the the conversation I just made about taking the Texans, they just lost their tackle. Laramie Tunsil's out. And this is a pretty big situation because Davis Mills... You know, going to be running around. Maybe it's going to be Tyrod Taylor eventually when he goes back. It, it, it's going to be a bad situation if you, now you're missing your starting tackle. This team wasn't exactly defending and blocking well as it is. Okay, and now you lose a tackle. There are certain teams that can get over problems, and then there are certain teams you just flat out cannot get past injuries. And this is an injury you can't get past. Let's talk about the Vikings and the Panthers. Sam Darnold five picks in the last two weeks after he's looked fantastic. This line is Panthers by about one and a half or two. Over-under set at about 50, uh, 46 and a half or 47. The Vikings might be without Dalvin Cook, but Madison has looked good. The Vikings are a team that they look at their schedule. And they go, we should have won a couple. But I look at them and I go, you could have lost a couple with bad kicks. Vikings are very interesting when you're talking about making a bet on them because they're, it's a team that wants to run, but obviously their best course of action is to throw the ball with Thielen and Jefferson and Kirk Cousins. They've been looking good, but they want to establish the run. They're a defense that has a defensive-minded coach. They have massive talent up front. Everson Griffin and obviously Hunter, they're fantastic, but the back end is a little bit weak, but the back end gets defended because the front has such a push. All right, well, can somebody take advantage? Now you look at the Panthers in the same way. I love this Panthers defense, Sure. Uh, but the Panthers can't run the ball, and nobody respects Chuba Hubbard right now. That's why Sam Donald doesn't look good. There's always reasons, guys, right? And the reason why Sam Donald doesn't look good right now is because nobody respects the run. Sam Donald it, it leads the league in touchdowns running because of necessity, because they can't run the ball. If McCaffrey does suit up for this one, I don't expect him to even be 100%. Look, the Panthers at home make a lot of sense here. They're the better defense. Mm -hmm. They are playing pretty well. Uh, The Panthers at home make a ton of sense. But this is a Minnesota team that is confusing and interesting to me. They are a team that I think on any given day could beat anyone in the league. But they have not lived up to that. You give me a healthy Dalvin Cook, 
and you give me a healthy Christian McCaffrey, I'm able to handicap this game a lot better. But as it stands right now, I think it tends to be a defensive game. I think both teams want to try to run. Who's going to have more success? Most likely Minnesota, which means Sam Donald's going to have to turn around and Sam Donald's going to have to be what he was a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if I could bet on that one way or the other. All right, let's take a quick timeout. When we get back, we'll go over the rest of the NFL scoreboard, including that big game, that big, huge game. Well, no, not anymore. The Monday night game was supposed to be maybe an AFC preview championship. Tennessee looks bad and Buffalo looks like world beaters. So we'll get into all that, how much you should buy in as a better right after this on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, I told you we're going to talk a little hockey today. We'll start out with a little Stanley Cup odds. Leading the way are the Colorado Avalanche at plus 475. Vegas comes in second, 7-1. Tampa Bay is also 7-1. to 9-1 the Toronto Maple Leafs, 13-1 Boston Bruins, 15-1 the New York Islanders, 18 to 1 Florida Panthers, 20 to 1 Edmonton Oilers, 22 to 1 the New York Rangers, and 25 to 1 the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's the leaders for what are the odds for the Stanley Cup championship. Hey guys, listen, I'm going to get into hockey in a little bit, but I do want to finish off what we have here and uh, for the NFL season um, is always going to be key. The NFL season is always going to dominate everything. More money is bet on the NFL than any other sport. We know that. So I want to make sure that I give you guys your, your complete NFL fix before I get into a little bit of hockey. Let's continue right along. In a game that I think could be the game of the weekend, I, I don't even think that there's much of a question that this should be the game of the weekend, and that's Ravens and Chargers. Not only is this the game of the weekend, I think this could be the AFC Championship game. I know that the Bills and Kansas City are going to have their say, of course, maybe even Cleveland. But this is an interesting game because it's such contrasting styles. The Ravens are three and a half point favorites because they're at home. They also just looked really good, impressive, big comeback. I get it. This is a one o'clock game, so it doesn't have the prime time. Now, all of a sudden, the Ravens are now 10 and three against the spread in the last uh, uh, 13 primetime games. So keep that in mind. But Justin Herbert comes in. And he is the talk of the town. Now, all of a sudden, it is no longer, is Justin Herbert, can he keep up with Patrick Mahomes? The question is, is Justin Herbert surpass Patrick Mahomes? I mean, that's what people are talking about out there. Whether you agree or not, I'm just saying that's that's the conversation. Justin Herbert has now 12 touchdowns, zero interceptions in his last three games. He, he just looks great, okay? He's averaging over 300 yards per game over that span. And he's taken on some pretty good defenses or teams that were supposed to be good defenses. Here's the thing. Lamar Jackson is not far behind him. If you're voting for MVP right now, you might have Brady in there. You might have Josh Allen in there. It's probably between, and I'm sure Derrick Henry will get some votes. It's probably between Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson single-handedly put this team on his shoulders. You know, we're down one running back, two running back, three running back. Oh, I don't care. Lamar Jackson is doing incredible things. The things that I never believed that he was capable of doing, which is throwing the ball and throwing the ball effectively, throwing the ball well. We might have to put to, to bed the whole idea where I poke fun at him and I say he's a really good running back, right? I mean, this is a different kind of Lamar Jackson. Does he deserve to be three and a half point favorites over a team like the Chargers? I'm not sure. The Chargers are a team that you look at and you go, wait a minute. They could take advantage of some things that the Ravens have problems with. The Ravens can't stop the pass. They've had problems since Marcus Peters went down very early in the year. 
Carson Wentz looked like the Carson Wentz of old against this team because the Ravens can't stop the pass. Now, you're going to get a big play from the Calais Campbell in the middle. You're going to get a big play up front from a Patrick Queen. You're going to get some big plays up front, but that's secondary. I know Humphrey's a decent player. Outside of him, it, it, it's a mess. And teams have been taking advantage of them going deep. Well, Justin Herbert's coming to town, and Mike Williams coming with him, and Keenan Allen's coming with him, and Austin Eckler in the flat. This is a team that can take advantage of exactly what the Ravens do poorly. And what the Ravens do poorly is defend the pass. This team could get after it. But on the flip side, the Chargers have one issue. They can't stop the run. And it was exposed again last week when the best running team in football came in there in the Browns. And they had a lot of success running the ball. But the Ravens come in. Are they a running team anymore? I mean, this is really the the crux of this question and the crux of this game. What do you believe the Ravens are? The Ravens have always been a run-first organization. Run first, run often, run sets up the pass. We pass only when we need to, and we're going to just run it down their throats. They attempted to do that with their backups, okay? With Williams and then Latavius Murray, a little Devontae Freeman. They attempted to do that with their backups. And what happened with them? Found themselves in a close game with the Lions. And they said, ah, you know what? We're not doing too well. No, it's Lamar Jackson is the running game. But now they're saying, look, we don't have the horses to to make this a running team. We got to throw it. Marquise Brown, 14 of the last 16 weeks, going back to last year, has had either 80 yards or a touchdown every single game. Mark Andrews, I was screaming to my buddy Tim, who uh, you know works with me over in Fox Sports in, in Las Vegas. He's a huge Ravens fan. And I was screaming to him before the game. I said, this has got to be a Mark Andrews game. Mark Andrews got to go crazy. And he did. Because if you watch the film, the coaches see the same thing that I do, right? The coaches see this has got to be a Mark Andrews kind of situation. And it, it was. If the Baltimore Ravens attempt to stay on that passing route here, against the Chargers, I don't know how well they're going to do. With Bosa getting after them and Derwin James patrolling back there, I'm not sure how well they're going to do. They have to run the ball. And that's a weird way to kind of approach a Ravens game, saying they have to run the ball, but they do. This is a team that must run the ball. I think that Lamar Jackson can effectively run the ball, but can somebody else? That's going to be the question in this game. Let's talk about that Lions team I mentioned. They're getting three and a half against the Bengals. Another Weird line. Last week, Bengals are getting three and a half at home against an unproven Packers team. Now, this Bengals team that everybody loves and everything's, oh man, the Bengals, the Bengals, the Bengals. All of a sudden, they're only giving three and a half to the Lions on the road. And they're getting healthier. Joe Mixon even played a couple of snaps last week and he wasn't completely effective, didn't get his workload, but he's going to come back another week getting healthier. This is an interesting line because of this. The Bengals have played five games this year. Four of them have been sided by three points or less. So the Bengals are a team that you look at and you go, they're playing close games. This is the growth of a team. We see this all the time. One team kind of starts to grow up before your eyes, and that's the Bengals right now. Now the Lions, they've lost two games on 50 or more yard field goals on the final play. They are playing tough. They're actually the only team in NFL history that lost a multiple games in the same season on 50 plus yards, and they lost it in the last three weeks, right? So the Lions emotionally i got to be beaten down, but they're at home. They're catching points. They are still fighting for this guy. Dan Campbell's crying at the podium. Everyone's going to be on the Bengals here. I'm looking at numbers in the 80, 85% range on the Bengals. I think the Lions are an interesting, really interesting choice because of the emotion. Can Dan Campbell turn his emotion into something good or is this going to hurt the team? 
That's a big question. Rams, Giants. This one would have been a lot more exciting if Saquon Barkley was there and Kenny Galladay was 100% and Daniel Jones was being Danny Dimes. All of them are banged up, questionable, or out, right? I mean, the, the Rams now have skyrocketed all the way up to 10.5 point favorites on the road. Look, I like the Rams. Survivor pool, Rams are my pick this week, right? I like the Rams anyway even with all them healthy. The Rams are coming off of a game where now they're rested, right? They get the extra couple of games. The Rams have the second most passing yards in the NFL, 310.2 yards per game. And now you take on a defense that can be beaten by, I don't want to call it dinking and dunking because that's not fair, by, by those crossing patterns, by those Cooper Cup routes, we'll call them. And and now you look at a Daryl Henderson coming back and getting healthy. The Rams have fallen out of the spotlight after they were the greatest team on earth just about three weeks ago. This could be one of those chances to get back into it. But the Giants seem to be a little feisty, right? And if Daniel Jones plays, he's, he's a little feisty. And maybe Kenny Galladay gives it a go. You can't make a ruling on this game until you see all of the injuries and what is going to be of the injuries because this is an interesting game. Let's go to probably the second best game of the week. And that's the Cardinals and Browns. I just mentioned the Browns and what they did. They're two and a half point favorites at home against the Cardinals. Cardinals are undefeated. Cardinals are riding, just going crazy. They're riding high. Baker Mayfield against Kyro Murray. This is the face-off of NFL quarterbacks. Both drafted number one. Both drafted out of Oklahoma. Both drafted in consecutive years, right? Um, and you look at Murray and you look at Mayfield and their successes. And Murray's going for an MVP. And people are going, I don't know if Baker Mayfield could win you know, with the Browns. I don't know if the Browns might move, have to move on to him. Look, the Browns are a team that just rely completely on the run. This is their head coach. This is what they do. I like Kevin Stefanski. He came in here. He's got two dynamic running backs. If you're a fantasy guy, you're playing both of them. How many times can you say that? And you're happy about it. The Browns are averaging 188 yards per rushing per game this season. 188. I just told you, four teams in NFL history have ever averaged over 200 yards per game for a season. They're at 188. They're not far off of that mark, right? It's easily the first in the NFL by by just a, ridiculous. Nobody else is even at 175, okay? So the Browns are clearly the rushing team and the Cardinals, well, they have a problem. The Cardinals surrender 5.4 yards per carry. That's second most in the NFL. The Cardinals can't stop the run. So what do you think is going to happen here? The Cardinals, who are giving up 140 yards per game on the ground, fifth most in the NFL, they give up the second most carries per game. What do you think is going to be attacked? This is going to be Chubb. This is going to be Hunt. This is going to be up the middle. This is going to be run. It's going to be run. This is going to be run. So while the TV networks are going to tell you, it's Murray, it's Mayfield. Oh, here we go. No, no, no. This is the running game, and can Arizona stop the running game? I also want to point out that the Arizona Cardinals are a team that, sure, they beat San Francisco last week, right? Uh, they won third down conversions. They won inside the red zone. But San Francisco won the yardage battle. They won the yards per play battle. The, the turnover battle was pretty much tied. It was an interesting game. But you have to ask yourself, is that the Arizona Cardinals that we have going forward now? Where they have learned to win games that maybe they're not beating their opponent by? You know, you were outplayed by San Francisco, but you find a way to win. Finding a way to win is not really an analytical nightmare, right? Um, because finding a way to win is something that good teams do. And you could go ask the Lions and every Lions fan out there, you find ways to lose if you're a bad team. 
So did Arizona turn the corner? Are they now the team that finds ways to win? Or is this a statistical anomaly that you could point to and say, well, Cleveland's going to own time of possession. Cleveland's going to absolutely own yards per carry. Cleveland's going to do the things that San Francisco couldn't convert on. So that's how you have to approach this game. Steelers, Seahawks, I don't even know how you approach this game. Look, you know, we got a backup quarterback in Seattle. You got a bad defense. Chris Carson might be out, so you got a backup running back. But the Steelers are, are a shell of themselves. Look, they, they look good last week. I can't say that they didn't. They, they look good. And they look good because they played Pittsburgh Steelers offense. And the Pittsburgh Steelers offense is run the ball. Pittsburgh has now won 18 straight games when they rush for a, over 100 yards. That's the first time they did it was last week. First time. Harris went over 100. So the Steelers are four and a half point favorites here because Russell Wilson's out. If Russell Wilson was in, how much do you think, where do you think this line would be? Well, I asked a couple of sportsbook directors around town and Steelers would still be favored. Maybe one and a half, I heard, you know, maybe two. Russell Wilson's worth about three points, two and a half, three points. Okay, I get it. Even if it was two and a half, you're still crossing the number. So would you feel comfortable taking the Steelers in a primetime game against Russell Wilson? Absolutely not. I'd be all over the Seahawks here. I would be all over the Seahawks. So do I feel comfortable because it's a backup and it's Geno Smith and Geno Smith has a bad name. Well, he played for a Jets organization. You know, I don't like it, not even because of Geno Smith, because of the Chris Carson thing, but I can't back the Steelers as a home favorite here. Steelers giving four and a half when they they just barely found their formula to run. I like Deontay Johnson. I like Claypool. I like Najee Harris. I love this defense. There's a lot I like about Pittsburgh, including Tomlin. I like a lot about this Steelers team, but I don't like what matters most. What matters most is that offensive line. Not even Big Ben is that offensive line. I think the Seahawks, who are banged up, Bobby Wagner's banged up, and Chris Carson is banged up, and obviously Wilson is out. I still think the Seahawks uh, can take advantage of this weak offensive line. And if you can take advantage of that offensive line, I can't lay points with you. I think the Steelers probably win, but this is going to be a nail-biter. I don't see either team blowing either team out. The over-under, I'd be all over this under. It's down to 41 and a half. You know, I, this opened up and it opened up at 43. And I said, man, you know, uh, if it was about 45, 46, I'd be all over the under. It's down to 41 and a half. I just don't think you can go near it. I could see a 21-20 game and you're squeaking it out. And that makes a lot of sense. But I, I can't go near this, especially maybe Geno Smith looks good. He's got the weapons. He's got Lockett. He's got Metcalf. So this is a unfortunate situation where the Sunday night game is a game that I think it's going to be between two teams that miss the playoffs. I think it's between two bad quarterbacks. It's between a game where you could sit back and you could say, okay, what kind of baseball playoff game do we have? Let's go to that Monday night game. Monday night games have actually been the worst games so far this year. Now we had a good one, but they've been the worst games. They've been the blowout games where the Sunday night games have actually been pretty close. Bills, Titans, Bills opened up at minus three. It's up to four and a half. And this might be another blowout. The Bills are rolling right now. Absolutely rolling. The Buffalo Bills won four straight games now. They've gone over 35 points. This offense is a well-oiled machine. Buffalo has won 13 of the last 17 regular season games on the road. They travel really well. Buffalo had the lead at the half in 14 straight games right now. That's an NFL record. You want a first half play? There it is, your Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are destroying teams. They are beating them offensively. They are beating them defensively. Their quarterback, I just mentioned, Josh Allen is playing as well as anybody in the league, including Justin Herbert, okay? Austin Eckler might be the best running back in the league 
outside of potentially Derrick Henry. You look at Allen, you look at Will, Williams uh, from the Chargers. Well, you know what? I look, uh, I said Austin Eckler. I'm saying uh, uh, Zach Moss. You look at Williams, you look at Allen over on the Chargers, and you turn around and you go, I'll take the offense that has Dawson Knox, Diggs, Sanders, and, and Moss, as opposed to the Eckler-Williams. And this is the offenses that we're talking about, best offenses over in the AFC. Because notice I didn't mention the Chiefs. The Chiefs don't have that fourth guy, right? So you go, quarterbacks, all right, they're all there. Running backs, not. Moss and Eckler are better than anything Kansas City's throwing out there. And you have Kelsey and you have Hill, but they don't have that third option. I think the Bills have the best offense in the AFC. I think the Chargers have the second. I think the Chiefs have the third. Now, the Titans were supposed to be there. This is where I'm getting to. Look, Ryan Tannehill was supposed to take the next step up this year. He hasn't. Derrick Henry is still Derrick Henry, sure. A.J. Brown has disappeared. He's gone. I don't even know what A.J. Brown is right now. And Julio Jones is still trying to get on the field. So we talked about in the offseason how good the Tennessee Titans offense was supposed to be. And they were going to compete with Kansas City. Well, the Bills are better than Kansas City right now. The Chargers are better than Kansas City right now. And where are the Titans? The Titans are, I would say that they're behind Cleveland. I would say that they're definitely behind Kansas City and the Chargers. They're behind the Bills. They're behind the Ravens, who now with Andrews and Brown. I mean, the Titans aren't a top five team in the AFC offensively. And then we get to their defense, which is absolutely atrocious. The Titans defense finished 24th in the league overall last year, despite you know going to the playoffs and looking pretty good at times offensively and defensively. That's what they were. Um, that was also with getting a lot of help from Derrick Henry, which means keeping the other team on the field a long time. You get a lot of rest. It was The Titans were a lot worse than even 24th, and this year they're showing it. This Titans defense is absolutely a sieve. You got a couple of bright spots, how Landry is one sure. But overall, Titans can't get pass rush. Uh, they just can't get to the quarterback at all. And you're going to give Josh Allen time to sit back there? And Josh Allen, who has all of a sudden found out that Dawson Knox is a big-time player, 24-year-old, coming back up, and all of a sudden his roommate, oh, here we go. And you turn around and you look at Zach Moss all of a sudden becoming that RB1, especially in fantasy circles, right? You got a little backup with Singletary. Stephon Diggs isn't doing too much, but he doesn't have to do too much because you got Emmanuel Sanders over the middle. This Bills offense is tremendous, but the Bills defense is too. The Bills defense, they took shots in the drafts uh, with guys like Rousseau and whatnot to go out there and get a pass rush. Well, they're getting that pass rush. And you got Jordan Boyer in the back. Milano should be back for this game. The Bills defense is worlds better than the Titans offense. The Bills offense is worlds better than the Titans defense. I can't see this game staying close. But I will say this. I lost a lot of money last year on a similar situation. You guys know, anybody listen to me, you know, before the year last year, I was on the Bills. I took the Bills to win the division. I took the Bills to make the playoffs. I took the Josh Allen to win the MVP. I was all over the Buffalo Bills last year. So when it came time to take on the Tennessee Titans, who obviously I'm very down on and I was down on last year, I loaded up on the Bills. I loved them. I loved them last year in the same kind of spot. It didn't matter to me. Here we go. Buffalo's all Buffalo. I'm all in. Here we go. What happened last year in a very similar spot? And now it's in Tennessee. Buffalo got destroyed 42-16 to 16 last year. Now, you could tell me that new faces and new places and different skin. Yeah, but not really. These two teams are basically the same. Julio Jones wasn't on the Titans last year. He's not there this year, okay? You still have the same coaching staffs. You still have the same primary players. 
That's a 42 to 16 game that scares me. I like the Bills this week. I think the Bills play very, very well. I think they want their quote unquote coming out party where sure, you know, you go out there and you beat Kansas City. Now, all of a sudden it's now we're at the top of the mountain. Now people expect us something from us. We can't let down. Watch us go out there and crush the Titans. And Josh Allen, you know that he's gunning for, you know what? I'm still not respected in this league. Even in this league where I finished in the top three in the MVP voting last year, I should be the MVP favorite. Now they're talking about this kid, Herbert. You know, Josh Allen has that chip on his shoulder. You know, the Bills still feel disrespected. They're only four and a half point favorites against Tennessee on a Monday night after what they've done. So they're going to use that as motivation. But I do worry about the Henry factor because Buffalo can be run on and you you keep them out. You keep them off the field. You frustrate them. And I worry about what happened last year. Look, I'm trying not to give too much credence to that game, but it's hard not to. I remember losing money in that game. I've watched that game this week back and I go, you know, 42 to 16. There was no fluke. Tennessee just went in there, punched them in the mouth and beat them. That's the only reason I'm not going to be flying out to Vegas with a bag full of money and be one of the bad guys here on the the Bills game. So yeah, I'm going to take a pause. I I can't make a compelling argument for the Titans. I'll take a little bit of a pause on just loading up on the Bills. But to me, this is Bills or nothing. Yeah, look, you always have to look back to look to the future, right? And I look back, I looked at that, that game and the bills are going to go, we're looking to the future. And that means we're going to go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay. All right. Bet to the future. All right, guys, let's go bet to the future. And we're sticking with the NHL theme. Well, let's get bet to the future. And who is the future of the NFL? Well, the future is now. Connor McDavid is plus two to one to win the Hart Trophy. Nate McKinnon comes in at plus 650, plus 950 is Austin Matthews, 12 to 1. Kucherov from Tampa Bay. And of course, we have the pasta man up in Boston at 16 to 1. That is bet to the future. Well, guys, you know, it, you look at uh, the future of the NHL is now. And I have had a conversation for years now talking about Mike Trout and Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid is the Mike Trout of the NHL. He is a guy that any NHL fan that knows is clearly the best player in the sport. And from a betting perspective, he has become Mike Trout-like in betting circles. Meaning Mike Trout for the last couple of years, last forget about that, last six or seven years, Mike Trout is basically plus 200, plus 250, plus 150 when you're talking about the MVP race. Because it's so ridiculous what Mike Trout does. Year in and year out, he's either first or second in the MVP. And you've got to set his odds to a point where basically you're making sure that nobody bets him. And that's where Connor McDavid is here. I wanted to throw a lot of money on Connor McDavid. I wanted to go out there. I had a couple thousand dollars and I'm going, yeah, I'm throw a couple grand on Connor McDavid to go out there and to, to win this thing. Well, at two to one odds and plus 150 down in Atlantic City, I saw, how do you do that? How do you go and say, you know what? Uh, here's a thousand bucks. You hold that. <laughs> right? And, and hoping that there is some upside. The upside is doubling your money on a long-term bet like that. Most professional handicappers don't want to hold their money for four, five, six months for a payout that is only two to one. So that's Connor McDavid. Nate McKinnon has a shot here. Nate McKinnon's already a little bit injured. He's also has a lot of people on his team. And that's the same thing with Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews is an interesting pick, but you do have John Tavares. You do have Mitch Marner. And that takes away 
from his prowess. And weirdly, McDavid doesn't get taken away from maybe the second best guy in the league, right? Kucherov has a lot. He's on a championship team. At 12 to 1 odds, he's worth a flyer if something happens to McDavid. And again, look, we're looking at a baseball season where Mike Trout, the only way he could lose was that if he got injured or if we had unbelievable seasons that were almost historic from Vladimir Guerrero and Otani. Well, that's what Connor McDavid needs to lose. Can we see somebody like Kucherov putting that up? I don't think so. So to me, the Hart Trophy is Connor McDavid or nothing. And in this case, I'm going nothing. Look, I, I put a little bit on McDavid. I, I didn't put a lot because I'm not getting much of a return, but I also didn't want a giant portion of my bankroll being held up. So when we do our preview show here, we're doing it a little bit different. I like to do it from a betting perspective. The season's already underway. You're going to hear many people talking about who they think is going to go here. We're doing it from a betting perspective. So let's go look at the best hockey goalie in the league. And look, I think nobody's going to argue that Andrei Vasilevsky should be the number one guy. He's plus 400 in some spots, plus 380. So again, it's not quite a Connor McDavid situation, but it's pretty close. Now, I had Vasilevsky last year at short odds. I had Vasilevsky and I was screaming, kicking, punching, throwing things when he didn't win because it was very clear that he was the best goalie in the league. Does that mean that this year the voters and the writers are going to turn around and they're going to give him a makeup game kind of, you know, a makeup vote? Yeah, it could be, but there are better choices out here. 10 to 1. Marc-Andre Fleury. Well, now he's with the Blackhawks. And Fleury's with the Blackhawks who don't have the Vegas defense. They doesn't have the Vegas defense in front of him that he did have. Now, I'm not telling you that Fleury was a product of the Vegas defense, but it's a different team. It's a different scenario. It's a team that loses. It's a team that doesn't have a good defense. I think that's a terrible bet. You look at Darcy Kemper, you, you look at a brand new team here again. I can't bet on a guy that's on a brand new team In this spot, even as good as the Avalanche are going to be, I can't do it. Even at 10 to 1 odds. The guy that I kind of take a look at here, also, by the way, that also goes with Philip Grubauer, at 12 to 1 odds, yeah, he was probably the third best goalie in the NHL last year. But the reality is he's now going to an expansion team in Seattle, doesn't have the defense in front of him, going to have some growing pains. They're not going to be a great team. I think they're all three of those guys. I think they're bad choices. I think you're throwing your money away. The only guy I could see really putting up some competition here to Vasilevsky is Connor Hellebuck. And I put some money on him. At 10 to 1 odds, if you didn't recognize last year what he did in his first 45 games, well, you're with the general public. But the odds makers did. Because the odds makers put a Winnipeg Jet that wasn't in the top three, right, of the, the trophy nominations last year, at 10 to 1 odds. He's the third shortest odds. Which means I'm on to something thinking that he could win it. The only thing that backs me up here is that this is not an odds that it's not a bet that is quantified as a statistic on paper. Lead the league in shutouts, lead the league in saves, lead the league in save percent. No, this is a voted on. And because they screwed over Vasilevsky last year, and that's exactly what they did, they screwed him over, okay? Because they did that, I wonder if it's a makeup year for him. Let's talk about the Calder Trophy because this is always fun. Cole Caulfield, look, he's got everybody's attention because what they did during the playoffs, he's at plus 350. Uh, Trevor Segaris, he comes in at plus 650. Spencer Knight is 8-1. to one. Raymond and Cedar are 10-1 to one and 12-1, to one, both coming from the Red Wings. Look, I hate betting on MVP. I hate betting on any of that stuff with two guys with such short odds because I think they cancel each other out. 
right? So I think that both these kids from Detroit can be fantastic, but I think they also both might cancel each other out. Caulfield's got the name, and he's the chalk for a reason, but again, I'm not going on him with this small of chalk. Spencer Knight makes the most sense to me. Spencer Knight's on a team that I think uh, will be better than people give them credit for. Spencer Knight's clearly on the best team. He's got to have the best supporting cast. He makes the most sense for me in this spot. Let's go look at those Stanley Cup odds, right? Right at the top, I'm eliminating two teams. I'm eliminating, uh, remember I gave you the Stanley Cup odds just a little while ago on what are the odds. I'm eliminating eliminating Pittsburgh at 25 to 1 and the Rangers at 22 to 1. Pittsburgh lost Malkin and Crosby. Forget about what they do on the ice for a moment, which is massive. How do you replace that leadership, that uh, just just extra added bonuses in the locker room and on the ice and uh, the, the veteran? You can't replace that, okay? And they will be back eventually, but you can't replace that for the short term. And then on the ice, it's a massive loss. I don't buy into the Penguins at all. And forget about what they did on opening night. I don't buy into the Penguins whatsoever. I think that people are betting on the Penguins going, well, if Malkin comes back and well, if Crosby comes back and if they're healthy. And it, this is an aging team that is missing their top two motivational and, and on-ice leaders, the best two players on the team. I don't think you take a stab at them at 22-1. to one. And It's the same thing with the Rangers. Look, the Rangers are the other way. Rangers are young. They're up and coming. I like Panarin. He's probably a top 10 scorer in the league. You look at Fox, probably top 10 defensive player in the league. Maybe their goalie stands on their head, right? You got new leadership there. It's a new vibe. I like the youngness. I like that all. I like everything the Rangers are doing. But the Rangers are not quite Stanley Cup level yet. Do I want to bet on the Rangers to make the playoffs? Sure. Will I make money all year long betting on the Rangers over the course of the season? Oh, absolutely I will. But... At 22 to 1 odds, it's not tempting enough to think that they could go on some miracle run. And that's what it would take. It's going to take a miracle run for the Rangers. I don't see that happening. Let's talk about the Edmonton Oilers. Much like the Mike Trout comparisons, I'll do this with Connor McDavid. Uh, Connor McDavid doesn't have a defense. Connor McDavid doesn't have a goalie. Connor McDavid has nothing but offense, and they're going to lose some games 7 to 5. I can't take a shot at a team, even at 20 to 1 odds, that just doesn't have that. The Los Angeles Angels have all the hitting in the world. Anthony Rendon came over with an MVP, you know, right? You have Otani on that team. You got Mike Trout. Guess what? They still can't pitch. They can't play defense. This is the same kind of situation here. So Connor McDavid is all everything, all world, all everything. You know what? Give me a Christmas jersey of Connor McDavid. I love him. I love Edmonton. But you can't sit back and tell me that Edmonton deserves to be anywhere near this list when you're talking about how weak their defense is and how weak their, their goalie is. You're going out on a limb and betting that their goalie and their defense is just takes a massive step up this year. At 20 to 1 odds, I don't see it. Boston Bruins, 13 to 1 odds. Again, you know, I call him the pasta man. I love that nickname, by the way. Pasta man and the bread man in Boston and New York, right? You got to love that. Uh, 13 to 1 odds, just not enough. Look, people got on Tuka Rask for a long time there in goal. And you have people that loved him, people that hate him. But I don't like teams with new defense, new goalies. McAvoy's fantastic. I'm a big fan. But is he enough on that side of the... I think the Boston Bruins are one of those perennially very good teams. But is it enough? Can you see them having enough come playoff time? Remember, this is a, this is a futures bet. We're not talking about during the season. I think they'll be fine during the season. I think you make money on them during the season. Look for a lot of unders during the season. But over the course of the year, I don't think they have a, what it takes to get it done during the playoffs. And this goes for the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. Now we're getting inside a, a double digits. Nine to one odds for the Maple Leafs. Austin Matthews is going to score, and he's going to score at will. 
and he's going to be right up there for the Hart Trophy. He's going to be fantastic. And Mitch Marner is going to make me money every single game on points. By the way, one of my favorite prop plays. Last year, I made a fortune. Mitch Marner points. And John Tavares is going to come back. Maybe he could add something. Did I mention a defensive player? Did I mention some goaltending? And Toronto can hide some of their goaltending during the year. You cannot hide that goaltending come the playoffs. You just can't. It gets exposed, and it gets exposed very, very quickly. Talk about another team I expect to be very good during the course of the year and then fail again in the playoffs. And that's the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas, sorry, listen, you guys listening, this is this is reality. This is who your team is. You're not quite the Buffalo Bills or Atlanta Braves, but you're known for failure. Your short, brief career and your short, brief history is that of climbing the mountain, having expectations, and letting your fans down from those expectations. Maybe they're too lofty of expectations, sure, but the Vegas Golden Knights have a roster that can win the championship. Stone has to step up. Uh, you know, you look at the players that have to step up, and then you got a new goalie and learn a look. Whether I believe it or not about Flurry winning the best goalie last year, he won the award. Now you take him off of the team and you got seven to one odds. I think Robin Leonard is fantastic, but I also think that the combination of the two were really one of the reasons why Vegas was able to boost it up. I think Vegas has a great year. They may lead the NHL in points. They may lead the NHL in wins. But Vegas might be great, but come playoff time, I think we've all learned now what the Vegas Golden Knights are. They're the team that lets their fans down, lets their city down, and they are not championship material. Whether it be that they don't have that number one scorer, whether it be that Stone needs to be more of an integral part, whether it be the fact that you don't believe in Lerner in the playoffs, whatever it might be, this is what Vegas is doing year after year after year. And until I see them get over that hump, until I see them slay that dragon, I can't go with Vegas Golden Knights. Tampa's 7-1 as well. Again, I mentioned this during the Patrick Mahomes conversation in the Kansas City Chiefs. It's just very difficult in any sport to climb that mountain time top time and time again and continue to climb up. I don't think you can do that. I don't think that you can effectively continue to climb up. And look, Tampa Bay has everything you want. I think Braden Points is better than people give him credit for. And Kucherov. And they have the best goalie in the world in Vasilevsky. They have good coaching. Everything is fantastic. But they have a giant bullseye on their back. And it's even bigger now. Can they emotionally get up for the season? Can they do that? Look, come playoff time, I don't think I could bet against Tampa. And I think during the year, I don't think you could even bet against Tampa. They're going to be overinflated, but I don't think you could bet against Tampa. But at 7-1 odds, it's not intriguing enough for me to take a shot. Which is to say the same thing about the Colorado Avalanche. Nate McKinnon's already banged up. Okay, I don't think that's a big deal. But you switch over in goalies. I think Colorado should be the favorite. But at plus 475, it's a short favorite. It's a very short favorite for a team that I liken to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Bucks had everything working for them this year. They'd probably win the Super Bowl, okay? But you could not get me to go on the Bucks because their short line was just not enough. Colorado has enough question marks in that conference to knock them off before they get there. They have enough question marks come Stanley Cup time where you can't really hedge a plus 475 effectively the right way that you would need to. So in a hedging situation, you almost can't, you can't hedge Colorado until you get to the finals. So if they go up against Vegas, plus 475 odds, you can't really hedge effectively, right? So the odds kind of throw me off of them. I don't have anything bad to say about them. So there's two teams that I left off out of this top 10, and it's the Islanders and Panthers. I put this out on my personal account over on Twitter. I took the Islanders plus 1,500, and I took the Tampa Bay, I'm sorry, and I took the Florida Panthers plus 1,800. Now, I think Tampa Bay probably goes back to the Cub. I think Colorado probably goes back, but Boston 
it is a team that people for years have kind of thrown money on and, and they're short odds. You know, Edmonton's a fun team to kind of throw money on. But if you're looking for teams that are designed to be able to hedge, be able to make some money, the Islanders or the Panthers are it, right? The Islanders last year went to a game seven against Tampa Bay. They lost one nothing without their captain and leading scorer, Anders Lee. Anders Lee uh, was out of the game, okay? He was out of the playoffs. They still did that. Why? They are well-coached. They are playoff coached. I think the Islanders probably have a worse regular season, but once they get into the playoffs, this is a playoff team. This is a team that gives people fits. I rode them in the playoffs. I made a fortune on them in the playoffs. Islanders in the under all playoff long. That's what you do. Now they're getting Anders Lee back, you presume, for the playoffs. 15 to 1 odds. You could start edging uh, this team pretty early. You could start edging this team, uh, you know, before, right after the first round effectively at 15 to one odds. And I think the Islanders are going to be right back there. I think the Islanders are going to be right back in the mix. Would it shock me if all of a sudden a playoff team that is really well coached gets their captain back, goes to the Stanley Cup and surprises people? No, absolutely not. But I do think that people are starting to pay attention to the Islanders and that's a unique situation for them. And then you bring it to the Florida Panthers. The Panthers are a team that I'm on this year because of I like everything that they're doing. I like the idea that you look at this team and you go, yeah, they have some effectiveness here. They have the the star power that you need, even though he's not a star name. You got the scorer that you need. It, you know, Barkoff might not be a star name, but man, he's a good player. You have defensive leadership. You have young kids in this kid night coming up. And I like their goaltending situation. Much like the Vegas Golden Knights had last year, you have a dual goaltending situation. I know Bob is getting ripped apart for, okay, giant contract letting down last year. Now he's kind of the number two. But isn't he a great number two? Isn't he great to fill in there? And if they could effectively split that up, look, I think Florida can win this thing. And this isn't just a hedging situation. I think Florida and the Islanders both have a chance to win this thing. And I put money on both of them because of that. You know, my official pick, you know, I would lean chalk and say, sure, I can't talk you out of Tampa Bay and Colorado. But it makes a lot of sense that Florida would knock off the Vegas Golden Knights. It makes some sense that the Florida Panthers are holding the cup. And that's the way I'm looking at the NHL season. I'm looking to make some money. I have had the two best regular seasons of the NHL in my career back-to-back. Last year was mind-boggling good. Over 70% documented. Just about 75% documented. I don't say that about every sport, guys. If I'm hitting 60%, I'm, I'm beating my chest. NHL, I destroyed it last year. So I am looking to make a lot of money. There are certain situations. Just pick your spots. You can win in the NHL. All right, guys. Have a good week, everybody. I'm Tom Bard for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.